that adults know already what we are trying to get across to the the youth group that God is for them, not against them, and that begins with Jesus Christ. I heard a friend of mine once say at a conference that the uh, number one goal of youth ministry is just to make sure teenagers make it all the way through their uh, adolescent years. And on the other side, they have seen Jesus Christ and Him crucified, and they know that God is on their side. Um, And I just want to say this this morning, if you as an adult have never heard that before, uh, maybe today is the day of salvation for you. Uh, I don't want to go any further this morning without saying that we um we have an acrostic that we we taught our youth group about a year ago uh our jack learned it when he was probably about 10 because he got shanghaied into going to on a youth group conference because he was old enough to go with us um but it's the gospel it's god our sins paying everyone life that god created us to be with him god created us for a fellowship with him and our sin is what separates us from god Nothing else separates us from God other than our sin. And those sins cannot be removed by good deeds. You can't help enough little old ladies across the street. You can't mow your neighbor's yard enough. You can't say enough nice things. You can't give people enough good thoughts. As I have family members who always say, sending good thoughts your way. I'm like, why don't you try praying? Um, we're raised in the same house by the same parents. Anyways, um, I won't tell you who they are, though. Um, but uh, sin cannot be removed by good deeds. It takes a sacrifice. And there's an old system that we'll talk a little bit about today because we're in Hebrews, and you can't be in Hebrews without talking about the old system, right, Blanche? Paying the price for sin, Jesus died and then rose again. And I always like to say when I get to that point and tell people about that, it's true because it rhymes. But it's true just because it's plain true. Paying the price for sin, Jesus died and rose again. Everyone who trusts in him alone, he's not a way, Jack. He's the way. Everyone who trusts in him alone has eternal life. And life that's eternal, everybody thinks eternal life's in heaven, but, sorry, it's now and lasts forever. It begins that fellowship of Christ begins now through uh, the Holy Spirit leading in our lives. And hopefully hopefully you all have believed that today, but I just felt like I needed to say it this morning in case somebody hasn't believed. Yeah, let's let's go to Hebrews chapter 10. If you're not already there, go there. Um, whether or not your Bible has pages or you touch a screen for it, I like a, I like a hard copy Bible myself. Um, here we go. Hebrews chapter 10. And I'll read the passage first, and then we'll have a a word of prayer asking God to lead us in this. I'm going to read from the ESV. I'll probably go back and forth from the ESV to the NIV this morning, so you'll have to bear with me. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 32. Now I'm going to warn some of y'all. Some of y'all are going to... You may want to pump the brakes when I get to the last verse of chapter 10, but I'm one of those that... I think sometimes those division markers, we lose the thought. Just because 11 starts right there doesn't mean that the writer of Hebrews, whoever it was, stopped their thought. 11.1 has as much to do with that last verse of chapter 10 as it does the second verse of chapter 11. So we're going to read all the way through 11 verse 1. But recall the former days when, after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. 
Love that phrase, and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while, and the coming, and the coming day will come, and will not delay, but my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not those who shrink back and are destroyed, but those who have faith and persevere their souls, or preserve their souls. Now faith, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, and the conviction of things not seen. Somebody else is reading out loud. Right. Let's do this this morning. Let's go to the Lord in prayer, asking for his help. Let's also ask that the Lord would watch over those who keep us safe as we're able to do so. Um, and I want to ask Sydney Powers, if you would. Jack, when, when I forget my phone is right here, later remind me of that, okay? All right. Took it out of my pocket so I wouldn't play with it. All right. How to be unsettling. Now you, you may, carry a, a regular normal definition of the word unsettling, but I'm going to give you a new definition of the word unsettling. There's so many people redefining words now, I just decided I would just go along with it. Tolerance and acceptance are all mixed up. So here's what I want to do. I want to redefine settling for you. Unsettling, well, the old definition is, and if you look it up in your dictionary, if you have a Webster's at home, this is probably what you'll find, something like this, a feeling of being disturbed, anxious, or uneasy. And I'm not talking to, to this morning about telling you how to unfeel, undisturbed, uneasy. I want to show you something else. This is my definition of unsettling. Refusing to settle for a lesser faith. The book of Hebrews, David, leave that up there. The book of Hebrews, we don't know who wrote it. We don't really know who they wrote it 100% to. We don't know like what specific church it was sent to. It was a church going through a struggle. I'll tell you that much. You don't have to get that far through chapter 1 to realize that Hebrews is what, for those of us who uh, grew up in the 80s and the 90s when video game systems first came out and really big, there was a reset button. So if your older brother was beating you, there was no more proof. Reset. Or if you were an older brother and your little brother was beating you, which happened to uh, in my house a lot because I was a younger, younger brother. Um... He'd hit that reset button. The book of Hebrews is kind of a reset button, a refocus to, to re-perspective where people should be focused on. It's looking at the old system of the Old Testament and putting Jesus right next to it and saying, this is the way it was done, Jesus is a better way. It's comparing the, the Old Testament priesthood to the one we have in Jesus Christ. He's a better high priest. Ultimately, when you get through that, you find that he is a better, lasting sacrifice. And when you get to chapters 10, and especially into 11 and 12, you find out that even the people of the Old Testament, you almost get a sense that the writer of Hebrews is, is really saying this, if Jesus were alive in their day, they would have followed Jesus because their faith was pointing in the same direction. Christ has been trying to lead you in the same way you should be focused on. So don't go back and settle for something that's lesser. Look to Jesus. And in fact, verse uh, chapter 12, what that Ron said today is, look to Jesus, the author and perfecter. The fulfillment of it. It's like a good friend of mine said this week. 
and put it better than I ever could put it myself, so I, I stole her her idea. Thank you, Blanche. It's like settling for a photograph when you can embrace the real thing. I couldn't have said that better than myself. I have to give you credit for that one. That's I've stolen your ideas before, but I could give you really good credit for that one. It's like this. Go ahead, David. Is the picture not on there? Or is it the next one? Is the next picture a picture? Oh, that was the slide to remind me to put in the picture. They are so close. I feel like I can hear their heartbeats. For those of you who don't know, we're adopting the, those two are Mitchells. They already are. Um, if you've seen videos of her, uh, she just laughs like her mom already. Um, and he's about as willfully stubborn as his brother Ethan. Um, right now, we have to settle for pictures. We got to see video, we got to video chat with them on Christmas Day. On Christmas Day. Director of the orphanage like sent us, you know, video. They're actually live. We're like chatting with them, which is hard to chat with a child who speaks a different language than you do. So it's a lot of hi, um, and a lot of smiles. But we have to settle for a picture right now. I mean, we have no choice in that. We have no choice in that. I mean, we're waiting basically on government officials to sign forms. Because all our work is, all our, all our paperwork's done. If any of you know my wife, that paperwork was done four years ago. Okay. It was done. They, they said, this will take you nine months. She said, watch me. Did it in two. I mean, it was, it was amazing. We have to settle for a picture. We have to. We have to say, to think about them, to see them, if we want to see them. It's not like I can go down the hall to the middle bedroom and see Ethan or I can go to the back bedroom and find Jack. We walk past an empty bedroom that's going to be theirs. We can see the picture, we can see what it can be, but we have to settle for a photograph until we can embrace the real thing. The writer of Hebrews is saying something a little bit different, though. He said, you are settling for a photograph of what it really means to trust in God's saving power rather than embracing Jesus Christ. You are settling for less when what has been offered to you is so, so, so much more. So I want to challenge you today to be unsettling. Not disturbing people you're around. But I'll be honest with you, if you're unsettling like the writer of Hebrews says, you're going to upset the apple cart a little bit where you go. Because you'll be a little, you'll, no, I won't even say little, you'll be a lot uncompromising. Too much of the time we, we settle. And this is, this is how and why we settle. Go ahead, David. This is why, why do we settle? Well, number one, number one, the number one thing that gets in the way is absolutely sin. If you ever wonder in the Bible, what causes this sin is usually the number one answer to what causes the problems in our life. So the number one thing that causes sin is we, we, I mean, to settle is that we compromise. And usually that first compromise is sin. We choose to take a sinful path. Whether it's lying, lying, cheating, stealing, those are obvious, or it's pride, arrogance, it's something internal, it's hatred, and we settle 
for those things rather than truly trusting in what God wants us to do. So sin's number one. Number two, it's fear. We're like, ooh, I don't know if I can do that. Oh, I don't know. By the way, I was there. I was there like 1998. Sitting there talking to a buddy of mine, Wes. Wes, who ended up going to China. Ended up going to Mongolia. Ended up going to a couple of other places in ministry. Now he's back home ministering to international students. He's like, James, you should think about being a missionary. And I'm like, yeah, no, I don't want to leave home. I was scared. I was honestly scared. Now, I also didn't feel that calling, but yeah, fear is a big part of it. we like, I don't know if I can do that. I mean, don't show a, don't, don't do a showing of hands, but answer this question for yourself. Have you ever resisted God's leading because you were afraid of where it might lead you? That's fear. That's absolute fear, and it's why we settle. We still believe in Jesus. We still believe that he died on the cross. We still trust in that sacrifice. But when we feel God specifically lead us a direction, and we're like, yeah, God, I think, uh, I think I'm good right here. I'll still believe in you, but I'll stay right here. That's settling out of fear. I put pride up there again because pride's another area we, we really settle because we choose our own way deliberately rather than God's way. Now that does connect to sin, but I want to point out this. One of the biggest ways of that compromise is where we basically say, God, you got it wrong. I know what I'm doing with my life. I know what I'm doing right now, so I will do it my way. And there's no other way, no other thing to describe that is. It's pride and pride usually is followed by stubbornness. Now, stubbornness can be a good thing sometimes when you're refusing to compromise. But stubbornness can be a horrible thing. And in fact, the Bible in the Old Testament, Moses didn't call them stubborn, he called them stiff-necked. He said, you're a stiff-necked people. You know the problem with being a stiff-necked person is? The only way you're going to look to God is if you're flat on your back. The only way you're going to get humble is if your face is down in the dirt. That's a stiff-necked people. That's a stubborn person. And that is why we settle. That is how we get there. In the New Testament, the writer of uh, Paul writes this to, to Timothy, warning them about just in the last days. Now, he's warning him of sins that are all around and are going to become more and more prevalent. But I'm saying this, church, this can creep into a believer's life. Just as fast as you can see it evident in an unbeliever's life. But understand this, that in the last days there will be, there will come times of difficulty for people will become lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good. Oh, it gets worse. Treacherous. Reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance. And you got to hear this. That whole list, then he truncates it with these words. Having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. So these kind of people don't come off looking evil. All of this is internal. It's hidden where nobody can see it. And by the way, when we settle, it starts here in the heart of the mind. It starts inside. And all these things, we might be like, oh, well, those are, those are, those are pretty heinous. But really, when you look at that list, that's a heart and a head issue. That's a heart that's just overflowing with self and a head that's doing nothing to stop it. 
And on the outside to some, it looks godly because they're doing a really good job to hide it. Having the form of godliness, but denying, denying the power thereof, but denying its power. Avoid such people. Notice it goes on, it says, for among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women and burdened with sins and led astray by various passions and always leading and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Then he refers to two Egyptian priests of all people. People who looked to the Egyptian uh, Pharaoh in Moses' day like they had power. Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also opposed the truth, men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. They won't get very far, for their folly will be plain to all, as was that of those two men. Those two guys were asked to recreate something that Moses did. Think of the instance of the staff being turned into the serpent. And they throw theirs down on the ground, it happens, and then Moses eats theirs. All they did was a magic trick. Moses trusted in God to do something. And that's what that passage is talking about. We, we can settle and think we're fine. Because we kid ourselves a little bit. It's what the writer of Revelation, what John wrote when he talked about the church of Laodicea being lukewarm. They, they believe, but they're not following. They're, they're lukewarm. They believe in the truth. But if God was to lead them to do something, if God was to impress on their hearts to do something, they'd probably say, well, I'm not sure. I think we're fine. That's what the writer of Hebrews is saying. He's saying there's, there's come a point when you've settled. Now it's time to get unsettled. Now it's time to, to do this a little bit different. Now it's time to truly follow and embrace what God has put in front of you rather than settling for a photograph. I, uh, I'm not afraid to admit I love my mom. I really do. She's a sweet little, sweet little old lady. I say little old lady. She's four, nine and a half. So I can say she's little. Okay. Um, she shrank a little bit just because of health issues and stuff, but that's my mom. It, but at the same time, my mom runs a farm by herself. She feeds horses, chickens. She keeps asking us the kids to chip in and get her a goat. Like that's the last animal because you halfway have a zoo with all the cats and other things that are running around there and dogs. Um, it's like Granny's farm for wayward animals. I'm not sure what's out there. There might be an elephant hidden away and she hasn't told any, told anybody. I have to settle for phone conversations. And sometimes I just really just love just take my mom and just give her a big old bear hug. I really would. I have to settle for her encouragement when I really would rather feel her hand on top of mine saying, I'm praying for you, son. Let's pray right now. The writer of Hebrews is saying, listen, you are settling for something. Not in a way that is forced on you, but you are settling and you have forced it on yourself. You have chosen this. You have chosen this path. 
So let's see what the writer of Hebrews implores us to do. David, if we would, let's go to the, the next slide. We are implored to remember that first time you believed in Jesus Christ. And I, and I want to, I want to throw something out there right there. I'm, I'm not for having assigned seating in church, but if you're a parent of children, it's okay to sit in the same spot. And I'm going to tell you why. The morning that I became a believer, Dustin, my, uh, I was in a Sunday school class, but I knew where my parents sat. Unless my dad was in the sound booth, my parents sat about four or five rows on the left side of the three aisles of, of pews at First Free Will Baptist Church in Houston, Texas. I know right where that pew is. I know that they sat four or five rows back because I would constantly try to make tiny airplanes and when my mother wasn't looking on Sunday night church, I'd try to toss them as, you know, as I could. Our pastor one Sunday finally got tired of it and picked one up and said, this can wait till after church. Which there was a good chuckle from that and then my father took me up to the Baptist, up to the uh, balcony where he did not turn on the light. Okay. <laughs> and then he sat behind me. If you can imagine boys, your grandfather sitting behind me. That big. Um, but the morning I became a believer, I, I knew right where to find my parents. I knew right where they'd be, or they'd be headed. I can remember that morning. I just, I don't remember very many more. I remember maybe birthdays and Christmases and stuff like that. You know, fun times. But of all the mornings and of all the things I remember at that little church, that's what I remember is that morning. Because I went to go find my dad. As soon as Karen said amen, she's like, let's go find your parents. And I was like, okay. And I didn't wait for her. I actually ran outside, which I wasn't supposed to. Um, I ran outside because I knew there would be people in the hallway getting out of Sunday school. So I ran out the thing, went out the front door where I could get into the auditorium faster. And I went in there and there I saw my dad. And he was standing there talking to our pastor. And I was like, dad, come here, come here, come here, come here. Which, you know, him, Brother Bobby, as I know him now, I, he would have probably been like to hear it firsthand. But I, I just told Dad, I said, hey, I asked Jesus into my heart. The writer of Hebrews is saying, remember that time you first believed. We are implored in that passage in, in verse 32. He says this, remember those earlier days after you received the light. Remember. Remember what it was like to first believe in Jesus. I remember the youth group described that to the youth group. He just sharing his testimony a little bit about just the feeling of believing in Jesus. 16-year-old kid. And, and I said, man, how do you feel? And he says, clean. I just feel clean. And the writer of Hebrews says, listen, to get your focus back on Jesus Christ where it needs to be, instead of being tempted to settle for something that's lesser and go back to something that you can control, which is, by the way, another reason why we settle the writer of Hebrews says, remember what it was like first. He implores him to do this. And the second thing he does is this. He says, not to just remember, go ahead, David, is to recall the challenges through which God has carried you, to, to recall those things through which God has done for you. He says, when you were endured such a great conflict full of suffering. He's reminding them of answered prayer. He's reminding them of miracles that you can't even explain that God was a part of even small little moments, even the big moments. And that passage becomes a lot about that, Gene. It's about those big moments that they may have gone through and everything from someone stealing from them to people persecuting them. And the writer of Hebrews says, recall those challenges. Don't just remember it, but recall it all. How we unsettle if we find ourselves in a place where we have settled now is to go back to the beginning and figure out where it went wrong. 
we were we were working on something the other day and we we measured it right, Jack. We we had it all measured right. It was gonna fit. But man, when we went to go put it in place, we couldn't even get it moved to get it in the right spot. And we had to go back to some of our measurements and figure out what was wrong. You know what the problem was? We were sitting on top of a rug which was sitting on top of flooring and we had made our measurements off a subfloor. We had to go back and say, oh, that's the ticket. Had to take the thing apart. We did. We had to literally go back to the beginning and figure out what was wrong. And that's what the writer of Hebrews is saying. Is saying, hit that reset button. Because you knew Jesus. You were there. You had the light into your life. And you've even seen Jesus do things. You've seen God carry you through things that you know it wasn't you. You know it was God. So don't just remember what he did to bring salvation to you, but recall what he continued to do. And then, then this is to rest in the internal, the eternal promises. You got it there, David? You got the next one. There we go. To rest the eternal promises. Let me read you these verses. If you have your Bible still open to Hebrews chapter 10, read them along with me. Verse 34, you suffered along with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that for yourself, that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. That there's a promise that's better than anything you may have even earned in this life that you are waiting on. It's why Job could say those words, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord because he knew where his hope was. It wasn't in his wealth that he had and all the, the, the cattle and how many fields and acreage that Job had that he was in uh, all his possessions and everything gets taken away in just probably days. He could say the Lord gives and the Lord takes away because his hope was somewhere else. Because sometimes it's the stuff of life that carries us away. Sometimes it's that fear of losing what we've got, of what we've gained because we're afraid of what somebody might think or somebody might say. So we quit resting in eternal promises and we look for instant momentary gratification. And what he's saying is, no, you get your priorities out of whack. Get it back to where it needs to be. Rest knowing in what God has done for you And at one point, you trusted him without abandon. For someone to say that you don't care about the confiscation of your property because you know God will replace it. I'm sorry, if somebody showed up and started to take my truck, they're going to end up with a 250-pound man on the hood of that truck going down the road. Well, at least till he got to a certain speed, I'm getting off. Okay, that's, you know... Uh, Watched enough old William Shatner TV shows to know that you just can't hold on with a, you know, windshield wiper on there. Um, some of the kids won't understand that reference. Anyways, but you know what? It's just a truck. It can get replaced because I have insurance. It'll get replaced because cops will find them. It'll get replaced. Sometimes we worry about losing in this life instead of trusting God then what we could lose will just be taken care of. We have a saying around our house, what are we worried about? He's got the cattle on a thousand hills. He's got enough. We'll be taken care of. We've never done without. 
Even the, even the day that we had $8 in our checking account when we were newly married and I was, and I was a, just starting off green a few months into a youth pastor at a little bitty church that wasn't even self-supporting itself. It was a mission effort. And Shauna said before she left to work, she said, we got $8 in the, in the checking account. Don't go get gas for your car. I hope you got enough to make it to work and back. You know, that kind of situation. In the mail that afternoon, was a check from my parents. It was dated three or four days before and it said, hey, we just felt like you might need this. And it was enough to get us through to the next paycheck. Don't be worried about what you don't have or what you may not have because our promises don't rest in the temporary things of this life. Because almost everything in this world is flammable. Do you know that? Or it's stealable. Or it's breakable. And we know this through youth group, just about anything is meltable, if that's a word. <laughs> you can melt pretty much anything, and it's either going to catch on fire if it won't melt. I mean, that's about the point where we haven't done it ourselves. It's games we play with the youth group. Don't worry about it. Will it, will it, will it burn? No, it'll just melt. That's kind of the fun part. But the truth is, this stuff in life, we've got to quit worrying about the stuff. And I'm going to take that one step further. Quit trying to hold on to a reputation of what people think you are and be the child of God you are called to be. And that's what this passage is saying. You are headed in a really good direction, but for some reason you decided to take the dirt road right here instead of following the road map. Road map. When I first started driving, especially when I went off to college, my dad bought me an atlas. He says, you're going to get called upon to probably go preach in some little bitty church in some little town you've never heard of in Oklahoma. You're going to need a road map. And you're going to need an atlas. And one time in the middle of the night, I decided, you know what? I'm going to go see my dad just uh, a day early. And it was not middle of the night. I'd say that is about 637, but it's already dark. And if you've ever tried to drive through the Washita Mountains at 630 or 7 o'clock at night, it feels like two in the, you're nodding your head, Sue. You know what I'm talking about. There's the only lights are your headlights and it feels like everything is swallowing them. It feels like you can't feel, it could be a clear sky and you feel like you can only see five foot in front of you. That's when you just pull over the side of the road, take the dome light. As soon as you see a, a mile marker or a, a highway sign, like, okay, here's where I am. But that's what the writer of Hebrews is saying. He's saying, you got off track. Not only have you forgotten where you come from, you've forgotten what he's done. You've left it behind. And you're resting in temporary stuff rather than resting in the eternal promises. So he gives them one more thing, and it's really underlying in this passage. It's right here. It's to resist the temptation. To take credit for God's handiwork. Everything that the writer of Hebrews lists that these people have gone through have been things that God has brought them through. They haven't done it on their own. God has brought them through it. And in fact, the writer of Hebrews is, is going to repeat himself a little bit in verse 38. And then to verse eleven six, he's going to say the just will live by faith. It's only faith that they've gone through the trials and the tribulations, the persecutions, the theft, all of it. Everything that they have faced, it's only been through faith in the one who's brought them through that they've gone through it. And we've got to resist that temptation. Resist that temptation to say, well, I did a good job with this. I did a good job with this. I, 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 way to go. Way to go. 
We've got to resist that temptation. Because if you are giving yourself credit for what God has brought you through or how well you got through a crisis, you have completely taken your eyes off of God and completely ignored his leading. Lastly, he does this. Risk standing on faith in him. Is to risk standing on faith in him. To stand in faith, but we do not belong to those who shrink back. The verse before, let me say, let me read it. Verse 38. And my righteous one will live by faith. I take no pleasure in the one who shrinks back. And so the writer of Hebrews, that's a quote from, and then so the writer of Hebrews says, but we do not belong to those who shrink back. Church, I want to tell you something. You do not belong to those who shrink back. That's not you. And if you've been give, giving into the lie that says, well, I don't know if I can, I don't know if I can, I don't know if I can. I'm going to tell you right now, you can. Follow him. Wherever he's leading, follow. Whatever he's showing you, the, the path, whether it's through the words of, uh, well, through his word, whether it's through prayer, or the impression of the Holy Spirit on your life, and maybe you've been doubting what God's been doing in your life, and it takes somebody else coming along to say the same thing, and then it takes a third person, or a fourth person, or a fifth person. I'm going to tell you this right now, when four or five people tell you, hey, I... I think God's leading this way. I think you should start listening. Because they're not all crazy. You're just stubborn. And you're acting like a child going, I'm not going to listen. That's how we treat God. That is. The writer of Hebrews is a little bit more graphic with it. Before this passage that we looked at, he says you're trampling the body of Jesus Christ. That's a sickening thought. That's a sickening thought. You're trampling him. But when we refuse to follow him, that's what we're doing. We'll believe in him all day long for salvation, but when it comes to really surrendering the lordship of our lives to follow him, and that's where, the whole, oh, I don't know about that. I, I, I like salvation, but I don't know if I really want to follow. Billy Graham used to say, if you're only 99% saved, you're 100% lost. It's all or nothing. It's to follow him. So risk standing on faith in him. I want to do something this morning. I want to, I want to challenge you to do something because he, the writer of Hebrews says this, we do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed, but to those who have faith and are saved. And now faith, he starts in verse 11, is confidence in what we hope for, an assurance of what we do not see. David, go ahead and go up to, to the big idea because I want to close in this way this morning. The challenges to, of, and in our faith will either be forced on us or we can embrace and follow God into them. The challenges are coming. Jesus told his disciples, in this world, you will have trouble. Not you might. Not it could happen to some of you, but John, you're good. He didn't say that. He said, in this world, you will have trouble. Blanket statement to all of them. Everyone in the room. But take heart, I've overcome the world. This morning, I, I challenge you with a little bit of listening or taking in God's word in a little bit different way. I think the bulk of you have a Bible in front of you. I'm about to ask you to close it. I want you to close your Bible. Because the temptation would be, as I'm about to read through Hebrews chapter 11, would be to read along. And if you read faster than I speak, you might get ahead. I want you to take in these words. 
These words are special to me, not just because it's God's word. I mean, that's the number one reason. But number two reason, this is my father's absolute favorite chapter of the Bible. He'll talk to you for years on this passage. He will. I've sat in his Sunday school class, I know. But I want you to hear Hebrews chapter 11. If you want to close your eyes and listen to it, listen to it. Because sometimes when we've read something and we've read something and we've read something, it loses its meaning. And sometimes we just start reading the words almost like our phone would read to us, just in a mechanical voice. There's power in this passage. So bear with me as I read this and we'll close in a word of prayer. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. For it is by people of old, for I'm sorry, for by it people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God. So that it was seen, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain through which he was commended as righteousness. God commending him and by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. And he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. By faith, Noah being warned by God concerning of events as yet unseen, in reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. By faith. Abraham obeyed when he was called to go to a place that he, that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born descendants, as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised. But having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth, for people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. And if they had not been thinking of the land from which they had gone out, they would have had the opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared them, prepared for them a city. By faith, 
Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, whom he had received the promise, and that was the act of offering up, offering up his only son, of whom it was said, though Isaac, through Isaac, your offering, offspring shall be named. He considered that God, and listen to this, listen to this. When I talked about possessions, and worried about possessions, listen to what Abraham reasoned. I love this. For he considered that God was even able to raise him from the dead. From which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. By faith, Isaac invoked future blessing on Jacob and Esau. By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each one of the sons of Joseph and bowing in worship over the head of his staff, which means he wouldn't sit to worship. He stood. He couldn't help it. He stood to worship. He was going to. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and that they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Could have been a very easy life. Choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. For he was looking for the reward. By faith when he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith he kept the Passover, sprinkled the blood across the doorpost, sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. By faith the people crossed the Red Sea on dry land. But the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell after they had been circled for seven days. By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. And now it gets good. If that wasn't good already, now it gets good. This is the definition of what we're supposed to be. By faith. We don't shrink back. These people did not shrink back. But now that the engine's warm, here we go. What more shall I say? For time would fail to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered, conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, and obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness and became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawed in two, they were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, and mistreated, of whom 
the world was not worthy. We tell teenagers all the time to don't give in to a worldly standard. Adults, I'm telling you the same thing. Because what they're tempted with back to kids we talk to is a totally different temptation than you all are tempted to. But don't give in to a worldly way of doing things. By faith, be different. By faith, think different. By faith, act different. And by faith, follow where God is leading you. And the world will not be worthy of you. We're trying too much to be worthy of the world and trying to, trying to do things in compromise. Don't walk worthy of the world. Don't walk worthy of the world. Scripture is teaching us to be different. We are aliens and strangers. The world, that's such a good verse, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering in deserts and mountains and in dens and in caves of the earth. And of all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised. They didn't receive fully. In the moment, what was promised. Because they just had the picture of who Jesus was going to be. But even to them, they didn't settle. They followed him and went after him, not even knowing fully who it was. But they knew it was pointing a certain direction and they knew God was leading. They said, we're going to go. That's what they did. Since God has provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. And this is where the writer of Hebrews goes. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let's lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Let us run with endurance the race set out before us, looking to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. The promise they never fully got to see was Jesus, but they went toward that promise. We have it. Let's not shrink back from it because we are not those who shrink back. We aren't. Just like you would tell your children, that's not what our family does. Children of God, we are not those who shrink back. We're to follow his lead in every way we can in our lives. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for how powerful it is. It's sometimes frightening for us because we like to be in control. Or for some of us today, we've got to surrender some of that control. For some of us today, we've got to surrender all that control. Lord, I would hope today, if today, if there was somebody here who had never believed or trusted in you, that they would trust in you for salvation. First and foremost. But for those of us who've gone a little stubborn in our walk, those of us who've compromised and we have settled for something lesser, God, help us not settle for a lesser picture of what our faith can be, but Jesus, help us to embrace you because you are the Lion of Judah. You are not safe, but at the same time, you protect us. You see us through. So help us not to be afraid to follow you, but help us to pursue your leading in our lives, starting with faithfulness to you, but continue on, continuing on as your Holy Spirit would lead and guide and show things and direct them into our lives. We thank you, Lord, that you do that. We thank you for the conviction that comes from your word. We thank you that it gets us back on the path we need to be. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.